Father, I want to thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the million dollar rain. Lord, you're good all the time. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, I pray that you would speak what you want to speak today. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you for your love. We receive your love. We receive your Holy Spirit, Almighty God. And we ask, Lord, that your will be done today in each of us as it is in heaven. Well, Bruce has been in a series called Be the Message, Speak Less, Love More. And this was not necessarily planned that I would be speaking today, but the theme of this is, Are You a Mustard Seed? And I'd like to read out of Luke 17, 5 through 10. This is Jesus and the Apostles. The apostles said to the Lord, in peace of faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately, sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say we are, un- we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. And I want to go to Luke 13. Therefore, he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Are you like a mustard seed? You have faith like a mustard seed. What, this, what these two scriptures basically say is this. You simply need to believe. You simply need to trust. You simply need need to obey. In the Message Bible, in verse 17, 6, it says, But the Master said, You don't need to be, you don't need to have more faith. There is no more or less in faith. The point about the mulberry tree, and you speaking to the mulberry tree, yet wouldn't cast into the sea, it's simply a symbol of God's power working through you. We don't have the power to tell our enemies to be uprooted and be cast into the sea. That would create a lot of havoc. And the point about the mustard seed becoming a tree where all the birds of heaven uh, fly onto it, is again a demonstration of what God can do through those who believe in Him and have a faith like the mustard seed. It's the Holy Spirit 
in you and me. As a believer, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Sometimes we say we have the power of God in us. More importantly, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And because of that, when God tells you to do something, the Holy Spirit can enable you, give you the power, equip you to do what He's asking you to do. Now, if He says to you, go tell that tree to be uprooted and cast the sea, because He has said it, and because the Holy Spirit is in you, you could do that. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, as it says in Romans, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is in each believer. The Holy Spirit is in you. Isn't it awesome to think about the Holy Spirit? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. What is needed to have faith like a mustard seed? Revelation 2.4 Jesus talks about first love. He's rebuking the church at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds. I know your perseverance, but you've left your first love. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And of course, as Christians, we would say, well, that's not my problem. Every morning, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. That's second love. Because the scripture says in 1 John 4 that we love because he first loved us. I think the mistake that I've made a good share of my life is beginning the morning like that. But the first love that Jesus is talking about is the love that he has for you and me. How did, how did Jesus show his love to you? This morning I was reading the scriptures and I needed to hear something from him, so to speak. And it was uh, Psalms 116 where the psalmist is saying, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and supplication. For me, a lot of times the Lord will speak through the scriptures to me. He's showing me that he is very concerned about me, that he cares for me. That he loves me so much that he gave his life for me. How does God speak his love to you? How do you receive it? Spouses? Who do you trust the most? Who do you trust the most besides the Lord? I hope. It's your spouse. But some of you have a blank look in your face. Can remind me of a reality discussion that my wife and I had. Jerry and I have been married almost 41 years. And she's my best friend. There's things that I've told her that I would never tell you. I love her. She loves me. I trust her. One day in a reality discussion, she said, Once is enough. I said, What do you mean? She said, if you die, I'm not getting married again. Keep on paying, paying those life insurance premiums. So that part is hyperbole, too. Just exaggerate. But 
Who do you really trust? You trust someone that loves you. God loves you. Our problem is that we don't really understand that love. In Galatians 5, it says, but faith working through love. Faith works through love. It says in First uh, John chapter 4, perfect love casts out fear. Here's a suggestion that I, that I use myself. If you're anxious, if you're worrying, if you have a fear, sit back. Open up your arms. What do you have to do? Say, Lord, I need to receive your love. I need to know your love. Fill me with your love. Your love isn't going to cast out fear. But His perfect love will. The more that we know how much He loves us, the more we can trust Him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again to have the kingdom of God in you. You must be born again to have the Holy Spirit in you. What's born of the flesh is flesh, and what's born of the Spirit is spirit. There is a second birth. You need to have a relationship with the Lord. You need to be in that position where you receive, you ask for His love. We love because He first loved us. What is needed to have faith like a mustard seed? Mustard seeds are very tolerant of dryness. So there's times in your life where you may not feel that the Lord is close to you, that He's speaking to you. But like a mustard seed, you can just lay back. Say, you know, Lord, fill me with your love. Lord, I'm going to trust you because of your love. I know that you died for me. The second point. What is needed to have faith like a mustard seed? And really, if you understand His love and receive His love, this will come naturally. Who's really your Lord? Or is He is Jesus just your Savior? When you have conflict with somebody, who's really your Lord? When you have been tempted to be offended, who's really your Lord? Romans 14, verses 7 through 9. The Apostle says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. For if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. It's like this is God told for Fourth, part of dying is just, dying is just part of living. Here and I were talking this morning, one of our daughters has said this for a long time. She said, I can't wait to be with the Lord. That is the right attitude. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, if you die, you will live. Because the Spirit goes on. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the living and the dead. 
Who's really in charge of your life? I think we have to come to a point where we have to decide, does God really orchestrate my life, the circumstances of my life, or does He not? To me, the Bible is very clear that as a believer, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, that the righteous man, the wise man of deeds, are in the hand of God. He doesn't know what will happen in a day. It could be love, could be hate. But God is in control of my life. And He orchestrates the circumstances of my life for my good and for His glory. Are you doing what He's saying for you to do when you have contact with somebody? Because that's really where the test happens. What is needed to have faith like a mustard seed? I've got to know His love. I've got to receive His love. And yes, He's my Lord. I will do what He tells me to do. He orchestrates my circumstances. I have to be willing to do His will. John 7, 17 says, If any man is willing to do His will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. If you're willing to do His will, God will tell you what His will is. And He will get you to where you need to go. He wants you to get there more than you want to get there. You'll discern truth. And if you're willing to do His will, you'll hear His voice. However, He speaks to you. Most of the faith decisions that you and I make are based on self-preservation. Jobs, finances, health, marriage, family. But there's a higher level. When we make faith decisions, it's to glorify Him because it is all about Him. And I think a sign of maturity, and it took me 50-some years to get there, is to have pleasure in glorifying God. Not glorifying myself, but true pleasure in glorifying Jesus Christ. That He would be seen and not me. That He would be glorified and honored, not me. There's pleasure in that. And you were created for that, to glorify God. And the God, for God to glorify Himself in you and through you. Are you a mustard seed? How do I know His will? The Word. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're deciding to do, it has to line up with the Word. The Word trains you to understand His will, to know His will, and to know His voice. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you kidding me? If you knew my neighbor, you would not say that. How often are you tested in that area? Honor others is more important than yourself. Nah, I like getting honor. The Word is the training ground for hearing His voice and knowing what His will is. The prophetic. 
April 2014, I was sitting back in Nancy's coffee shop. You see this? Nancy is the, the barista, the Nancy's coffee shop is a franchise. The chain. She's the best. Sitting at the table all by myself, enjoying her coffee. And I looked up, I'm, in, I'm up there in the foyer, I looked up on the wall and I saw this book. It's as real as, as I see you. And the book is a big book, and a lot of it had been read. And I had passion on this page where it was turned. And then a wind came, and there's no passion. The one page and that part of the book, I had passion. Then the page turned, I had no passion. The passion was gone. It's like the Lord is saying, you need to take a first step. There needs to be a change. But I don't know the second step. But where your passion is, is the key to what God's will is for your life. If you are passionate for something, God is probably pointing you in that direction. That's what you need to do. I've been blessed. I was blessed with a mother who had passion for her children. I have a wife who has passion for her children and grandchildren. I have daughters who are great mothers. They're passionate for their children. That's what they're called to do. What's your passion? It's a thing where God is leading you. So how do I know as well? The word, the prophetic circumstances. Oswald Chambers says that God frequently speaks to us through our circumstances. You've heard it said, I'm paraphrasing this, you know, during the smooth things of life, God whispers to you. But when you're in pain, He's shouting to you. Change in circumstances. It can be relationships. It can be changes in your relationship. Sometimes there's a job loss. And I know we can get depressed about that, but if really, if you believe that God's Lord is your circumstances, He's moving you on to something else. Another indicator is how is God using you? Has that changed? Have your circumstances changed? God speaks to you through circumstances. God's speaking to me through my circumstances. Fourth, how do you know God's work? Godly conflict. You know, after I saw this book, I believe I knew what God was telling me. But I'm a deliberate thinker, so it takes a little while for me to ask that. But a few months later, I called up a guy who I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, he's the director of Prepare Ministries, which is like Campus Crusade for Christ or Chi Alpha. And he's in a multi state area. And I called him up and I said, This is what's happening in my life. I believe I'm supposed to take first step, but some people say, Don't take that. Until you know the second step. He says, No. So I got two questions for you. He said, Do you have any issues with the church or with people? I said, No. I, I don't. I, I believe I'm right with everybody that I'm supposed to be right with. 
that I'm aware of. And then he had a second point. He says, I think you're supposed to do the first step. And I'll elaborate on that later on. So the word, the prophetic, changes those circumstances. Godly counsel. You've got to be willing to take the risk. And you know, the first question that comes to my mind, what if I make a mistake? I was reading a book. It's a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of the Confessing Church in the 30s in Germany when uh, the Nazis were coming to power. And God granted him understanding of what Hitler would probably do if he gained power, which he ultimately did. And he became part of the Confessing Church because the Lutheran Church, which was the predominant church in Germany, had been really assimilated into nationalism and socialism. It was not really the true gospel-believing church. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. If you ever saw the movie Valkyrie, he was part of that. Uh, and his brother-in-law uh, was really the guy that planted the case in that bunker that exploded. And Hitler wasn't really hurt. He lost a lot of his clothing, but he was not killed at that point. Anyway, there were about 100 people or more that were involved in this conspiracy, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of them. And uh, they were able to uh, execute most of these people. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was hung three weeks before Hitler committed suicide. But he said this. He said, To delay or fail to make decisions may be more sinful than to make wrong decisions out of faith and love. So God is speaking to me through what he is saying in this book. And Mark Twain says this, he says, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things you did do. Of course, the German author, Johann Wolfgang von Gogh, maybe, he said, Hell begins the day God grants you the vision to see all that you could have done, should have done, and would have done, but didn't do. The only thing that you and I can do is what we can do today. There are big decisions, but there are the ordinary decisions of life. And I think some of the hardest things to do is to ask for forgiveness, to be reconciled with your brother or sister, who's really your Lord. You can only bear fruit where you're planted. Perhaps God is calling us today to do something specific. Maybe go out of your way to be kind to somebody. Don't lose the opportunities that God has given you for His purposes. I want to talk about the parable of the talent. Matthew. I'm just going to paraphrase this, but you can read it. The master had three servants, and he gave talents to them according to their ability. One got five talents, one got two talents, one got one talent. And the 
one who got the five talents, doubled his investment. The one that got the two talents, doubled his investment. And Jesus said the same thing to both of them. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll put you in charge of many things. He didn't make a distinction between gifting, number of talents. But the person who had the one talent was afraid. And he went and buried his talent. And when the master came back, he asked him about that. And he said, the servant said to his master, I saw you to be a hard person, but you reaped where you did not sow. How many times do we look at Jesus when we're trying to make a faith decision? Is he really to you a loving God, or do you see him as a hard person? Strict. You can't make a mistake. It's interesting that Jesus called that slave a wicked and lazy servant. In the natural realm, a lazy person will use excuses. Well, I never got the same chance you did. In the spiritual realm, the lazy spiritual person will blame God. You're a hard God. There's no grace with you. We blame God. Even though this talks about according to your ability, there's a deeper meaning. It has to do with what God has for you. The promises that God has for you. It has to do with the Holy Spirit working in you to carry out what God has for you. And it's in the ordinary things of life. What does God have for you today? God wants to speak to each of us. And when that time comes, He wants to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. This applies to the ordinary things we do in life as well as the big decisions that we have to make. Jesus is certain. He is the rock. He says in Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. We can embrace him as a certainty in our life because, as you know, life is uncertain. And we can choose to embrace what is certain, which is Jesus Christ, or we can embrace what is uncertain. I don't believe that Jesus is concerned that much about this question. It's a matter of the heart. Do you really want to honor God? Are you trying to honor God? How else can I know His will? Repeated prompting. For me, it was that prophetic picture. It's the circumstances of my life. It's the godly concept. Pastor Kerry and Lynn and Pastor Bruce and my wife and I went to the C3 conference in Grapevine, Texas. On the humorous side, I saw lots of SUVs and pickups. I saw one Prius. 
month later, I went to California and even the county did too. Difference between the states. Anyway, at the CC conference, the very first night, we're unlifting, and this person says, you have to take the first step. God isn't going to show you the second step necessarily until you take the first step. And I'm reading books by Mark Patterson. All in is the, the first one that I read. And it has to do with taking the first step. About three weeks ago, a man by the name Ken, uh, Ken Danielowski came in. Well, he came to my office, I was looking at my computer screen, and he said, Steve, and I looked up and I recognized him immediately. I hadn't seen him in 15 plus years. Maybe just this one, I don't know. But I haven't had any contact with him. Now, Ken used to go to this church and his wife. Just some trivia. His wife graduated Terry a long time ago. He owns a Montgomery War Slayer. For those who don't know what that is, he's like the steers, but they're gone. And him and his wife were in this church for a few years, and then they went to Pennsylvania to work for Team Challenge. Most of them didn't have a Team Challenge at that time. Anyway, he pops into my office, and we're talking about the Lord, and I'm sharing with him what I feel the Lord is telling. He said, you know, I'm saying experience. He said, um, I was an elder for 15 years and an associate pastor. And um, the Lord started talking to me. He said, really, really difficult decision. He said, but I had to, I had to make a change. And I said, you know, if you had been that first step, would you be doing to doing that? He said, all over the world. Uh, he said, no. It would not have happened. That golly counsel, the second thing that, that Gary Gilson told me, he said, you know, you need to step down as a leader in your church. He said, I did the very same thing myself. I was a pastor for 20-some years, and the Lord told me to step down. He said, I had no idea what I was going to do. And then later on, he founded Prepare Ministry. The Lord has asked me to step down as an elder and a pastor in this church. I have been here since 1983. I have served under five pastors. And I'll tell you something, I have honored each of those pastors. I want to thank people. I want to thank people who God has sent into my life to irritate me, to criticize me, and to express their anger in my leadership roles. Because of you, God has shown me how much I fall short of the glory of God and how much I need Him. I want those people to also know that God sent me into your life to irritate you. As a leader, I have never intentionally hurt anybody. I know that I have said things that people don't like, but my intention was never to hurt anybody. I want to thank the godly people. There's some people in the church that really impressed me. You know, because we live with imperfect people, there's always challenges in a church setting. This is your family. And this church has gone through ups and downs. 
But there are some people that God has been watching and He's really pleased with you because you have been steadfast. You have honored the leadership. And I want you to know that whatever leadership there is, from the President of the United States to your senior pastor, God places them there. That is a biblical fact. And when you honor your pastors and your leadership, you are honoring Jesus Christ. And He is watching. And I believe with many of you, He's well pleased with your steadfastness in the Lord and honoring Pastor Bruce Messina and those who are in leadership. And I want to thank Pastor Bruce for his friendship and the Phoenix friendship. These are, this is a godly couple, and they've made some tough decisions, believing that the Lord has asked them to make those decisions. I want to thank the elders and the deacons that I've served with throughout the years. It's been a blessing. I want to thank my wife, Sherry. You know, in your leadership, you need to talk to somebody other than the senior pastor. And she's a truth talker. There have been times in my life where I've wandered from reality. And she brings me back to reality. And I want to thank you, Jesus. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. Thank you that you love each one of us. Thank you, Lord God, that your word is true, that your Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus, every blessing that you have given me in all these years that I served in this church, I give back to you. Forgive me when I have not done that. Because you're the only one that's worthy of all blessing. You alone. You are worthy of all honor and praise. You alone. In Philippians 3, 13, 14, this is my focus. This needs to be your focus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I've told people, if I haven't heard the Lord in this, I've never heard it. I know I've heard it. And what I have mentioned to you in this, I hope that you'll take with you. Are you going to be a mustard seed? Are you going to have a faith like a mustard seed? It's not that hard. God wants to show you His love more and more and more. Sue, when she came up here last week, quoted the Apostle Paul out of Ephesians 3, 17, 18, 19. That God will strengthen each of us according to His riches and glory power through that spirit us that Jesus Christ is drawn and right through faith. And that each of us be rooted in His love. To know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. To know the love of Christ. It is God's will that we know His love more and more. Why will we be filled up with all the fullness of God? Father, I thank You for this moment. I thank You, God, for Your love and kindness. I ask, Father, that these people would be, would have faith like a mustard seed. That they would be radical for you. They know your love. That when they say that Jesus Christ is Lord in my life, they mean it. And they do it. And that they would be people who are willing always to do your will. Why? For your glory.
for your honor. Let your blessing be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.